Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. I'm excited to have a friend on the podcast, Rob Buck, who's the COO of CD Baby. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for hopping on via Zoom. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I, there's a lot of different things, uh, ways we can go with this conversation because we just chatted a couple weeks ago. Um, but first, I'm really curious to get your, because you're an operator by nature. So through all this COVID, I think it'd be really valuable to talk about, you know, how CD Baby has kept, you know, the train on the tracks. But first, uh, love for you just to give an overview of uh, kind of your role at the company sure. and for people who might not know what CD Baby is, all what you do too. Sure. So um, CD Baby, we basically help artists get their music everywhere and make sure that the artist gets paid for their music. Um, so we work with, I think the count these days is something like. 850,000 independent musicians Um, and uh, they come to CD Baby to make sure that they can get up on Spotify, um, Apple or iTunes, Amazon, all the major and even uh, less well-known platforms. Mm -hmm. We also go about making sure that we can help them collect their um, royalties, their publishing rights, all those kind of things. Um, So it's really kind of a one-stop shop for a musician to come to with a completed album or a single um, and make sure it can get out there and make sure they get paid. And how long have you been with them again? Um, I've been with CD Baby since 2009. So to give you some perspective, that was when physical was peaking um, and downloads were kind of like, yeah, this might be a thing. So, (laughs) you know, streaming wasn't even on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really taken off. I remember uh, when I was 2009. So, yeah, I was in a band back in the day. I remember we must have been pretty early on using the platform. It was a big deal. It was like, oh, this is going to get you on iTunes (laughs) right back then. Yeah. And there wasn't, and there still isn't a really good way to get out there uh, without some intermediary kind of helping you put together the metadata and right. all your art assets and your music assets. It's complicated or complex on the kind of operational technical end. Um, and really, I what I like about CD Baby is we empower musicians to do what they do well. Go be a musician. You don't have to worry about your accounting. You don't have to worry about distribution. We handle all the business for you. You just focus on making music. And that's a big, um, not to get too much in the weeds about CD Baby, but it's um, it's huge benefit. Because unlike podcasting where it's pretty easy to just get on the platforms, when you have royalties and all that back end as an independent musician, I, I mean, I don't think folks realize how complicated that can get and just tracking that down. So it's a huge benefit to artists, I'm sure. 
Yeah. And, you know, again, we as listeners go out to Spotify or our favorite streaming platform and we listen through a playlist and that's collecting in the background, you know, micro pennies that someone has to go sweep up, <laughs> put together in a meaningful check and right. deliver to an artist. Um, so it's luckily it's very simple for us as fans to enjoy the music. Yeah. And hopefully it's at least creatively fun for the musician to put together the music. But the middle parts, um, I'm really happy that I work for a company that can help an artist do all that stuff. Um, because it's it's complicated. So talk about your role. So as COO, um, what are the some of the things you oversee and the, the teams that you lead? Yeah, so I started in 2009 just overseeing the warehouse and physical operations. Um, but now um, I and my team represent probably 60% of the total um, staffing for the company. Wow. So it's everything from warehouse operations still um, to artist services, which is basically customer service through musicians. Uh, we have over 50 people in our call center ready to answer artist questions. Um, then my digital delivery team, which is doing all that background work to get deliveries in there and make sure we're um, meeting our internal guidelines for quality of content. Um, I've got a creator services team that is basically an A&R equivalent. They're looking for CD Baby artists that are starting to really kind of come up, get some exposure, have a lot of fans, and seeing if we can help them get to that next level. Um, facilities team, who am I missing? I'm sure there's someone I left off the list, but um, I think it all sums up for me. My operational role is really to um, help run the day-to-day -day operational pieces of the business um, outside of accounting and marketing and IT. Um, so most of the rest uh, falls into my group. I'm not going to have you pick your favorite kid, but which one of your, <laughs> which one of your, uh, what's one of the departments just is stepping aside from what you do day to day. You, you find the most just kind of interesting or if you were an artist or I don't put you the best well, spot, but yeah, my heart <laughs> is still in physical operations. Um, it's definitely a different, um, percentage of the business these days, yeah. but to give you some perspective, you know, I started in music retail in 1987, we were pulling, vinyl out of the bins to make room for CDs and long boxes. So my heart's still there. Yeah. Um, but that said, I think it really rotates among my team. I have some really great um, directors and managers that have stepped up over time um, and they do such a good job. So I'm actually more interested these days in um, a really juicy, interesting, difficult problem to solve. Mm -hmm. um, so as I go through my groups, like, oh, there's a good problem to solve or an opportunity. And that's where I might engage someone in a conversation about it. Um, so really, my favorites become like, oh, that's, that's an interesting thing we can shoot for, or a problem we need to solve. And that, that usually uh, gets my attention. So that's a good jumping off point. So during all this uh, COVID, what, what are some of the biggest challenges you've kind of you and your team had to tackle? I mean, last week, you know, I do this two day kind of program with PSU called the leadership Academy. One of your um, team members joined, which is great. And she yeah. was, I think she was in QA and she was talking about when you lot, you know, when you quarantine a bunch of musicians, they're just going to make more music and how <laughs> yeah. it's just skyrocketed the, the influx to CD baby. And, um, just that challenge of, of how much, uh, you, you know, uh, CD babies, more music's coming through your, your, um, platform. So I'm just curious to see some of the other challenges you've kind of worked through. Yeah. So uh, definitely, I think kind of looking at it chronologically, the first step was how do we get everyone to work remotely? And luckily we we're already in the position of having thought ahead because of snow days in the past and other issues have come up. Everyone was ready to work mobile um, except for the warehouse team. Um, so we were able to 
have everyone take their laptops home and all the infrastructure was set up to do remote work. Um, and then we trained up our warehouse team to actually support, support artists through artist services while we waited to kind of spin back up physical mm -hmm. operations. Um, so that really worked um, honestly pretty seamlessly and I'm really happy um, with how that all um, played out. Mm -hmm. um, and then we hit the wave um, that that participant was talking about. Uh, so mm -hmm. really right from the beginning in um, really mid-March um, for several months, we just hit, were inundated with um, uh, projects, singles, albums. I think a lot of artists, uh, because they weren't able to tour, were digging through old material that was already ready to go, submitting that, and creating new material. Um, so again, going back to our mission, supporting those artists, it was awesome to be able to say, yeah, we can do that. But at the same time, we also felt the stress of doing all those inspections, um, helping all those artists. There was just a huge influx uh, that we pulled tons of people in, including volunteers from other departments, wow. to come in and make sure we were um, taking care of our artists. Hmm. Um, so that, the, the challenge is really that influx of um, new material, a great problem to have, and super um, awesome to be able to help out all those musicians. Um, but it took an all hands on deck kind of approach and uh, we've continued to see really good growth since, but we're beyond that like initial like okay. wave and adjustment. Um, so now we've got more people in our services, more people cross trained to kind of keep flexing with uh, those demand changes. And how have you been staffing up during this? Or you like I said, just kind of pulling people from other departments to, to make this work for now or. Uh, both really. So uh, here in Portland, we've been adding staff and been able to add remote staff, which is pretty awesome uh, yeah. due to kind of how all things are set up. It was kind of like a bring your own laptop situation. Like you got a laptop. Okay. And you pass the interview. Okay. We'll get you all set up and let's go. Um, and then we also have a large international presence. So we've been growing um, quite a bit internationally um, in Latin America, uh, UK and Europe and uh, a couple spots in Asia. So um, we've continued to add folks. So you hit on one thing. I mean, you've brought some people on board remotely, and this is something I'm really interested in, onboarding employees that have never met, met you in person. So what are some of the things you found that's been successful or hard about it? I mean, I think a lot of companies right now that are um, fortunately growing or this, uh, are hiring people during this, it's, yeah, they've never met their team in person. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I guess first up front, acknowledge it's just not the same yeah. as meeting in person. Um, so uh, we would typically do a phone screen, so that really hasn't changed. You know, then we're using uh, Zoom or uh, Ring Central, you know, another version of Zoom, mm -hmm. uh, to talk to the person kind of face to face. And then a lot of the training uh, can take place remotely, but the acculturation is more difficult to really achieve to really get them to kind of understand what we're all about. Yeah. Fortunately, part of what we're looking for are people who are kind of. Uh, a good cultural fit. Uh, we tend to hire a lot of creatives. Uh, it used to be a lot of musicians. Now it's musicians, writers, artists, people involved in whatever the scene is uh, where they're at. Um, and they uh, kind of come to us ready to um, be a good fit for our culture yeah. and for helping out musicians. Um, and then uh, every week we've got um, like a Tuesday coffee social. We've got um, a Thursday um, after work social, and we have a lot of ways to connect in between with the actual teammates you're going to work with. Um, for example, in our artist services group, if you get started, you have to learn kind of our back end and how to answer artist questions. And we do that in a team environment. Okay. So you're on Zoom, you know, with four or five other people, as well as an expert, literally working together on issues. So um, that's how we're still managing to make 
interpersonal and kind of team connections and at least touch on our culture while we're waiting to ideally all come back together. And so it's been, it sounds like that's working pretty effectively, all things considered. It is. And just to remind everyone who's listening, it doesn't start there. So it's not like, <laughs> hey, this came out of the oven. This is kind of like one of those cooking shows, right? Yeah. You're on the ingredients and wait, it's right in the oven. It's all good. Um, particularly within my team, we're really focused on uh, using lean, continuous improvement tools and approaches to what we do. So if we want to um, chase an opportunity or solve a problem, we're going to go through and use a PDCA plan, do, check, act format. So here's what we want to do. Here's how we're going to measure whether or not we're being successful. And we check in on that success measure regularly and make adjustments. So we may start in particular, like, uh, like a good example is, again, going back to that artist services training, used to take um, two to three weeks uh, full time to train someone up in, before they ever touched uh, an artist question. Okay. Now it takes uh, probably two hours hmm. of initial training. And then in that group setting, we all get in, touch some tickets and start doing answers together. So we started in a very different place than we ended up. And now we're much more agile and spry and able to get people kind of hands-on learning uh, much faster. But that hmm. was all of a, a learning process by really taking that deliberate uh, approach. And, and, you know, as I talked to a lot of people uh, that are different types of industries this whole thing right it's just accelerated any kind of transformation plans some companies have had so i'm i'm curious were there any initiatives underway that this just like we you know we need to do this now as far as like you know quote unquote digital transformation sorry to use consultant language but yep, yep. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know it sounds like part of the just the onboarding process could be definitely rolled into that are there any other kind of processes or yeah, onboarding for sure. I think our uh, our kind of way of doing business, um, we had a pretty um, significant travel budget. There's a lot of traveling. Um, we have a company uh, associated with us in Amsterdam um, where I was in February right pre-COVID, pre you yeah. know, flew back and then everything kind of kicked off. Um, so we've been doing a lot of face-to-face -face meetings and travel um, and that's really kind of all shut down and moved to Zoom. So that's been certainly an adjustment and one we want to adjust back into travel for that face-to-face -face stuff. We haven't, in other words, found like a really good kind of one-to-one -one replacement for that. I don't mm -hmm. think there is one. Yeah. Um, but uh, luckily we were already a digital business and we already had the teleworking stuff set up. So we were set there. Um, and now it's really kind of replanning our facilities. You know, what, what does a post COVID world look like? Mm. We spent uh, a lot of money uh, two years ago when we moved into our new headquarters and now we're like, uh, we need to re-engage a space planner and really kind of figure out now that we can work remotely and on site, what's the future look like? So that's really an exciting opportunity and a challenge that we're going to be um, starting planning on now mm -hmm. and really going to first quarter of next year, hoping that, you know, by second quarter of next year, we can really kind of uh, re-engage the facility uh, with more than say 20% of our capacity. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, something a lot of offices are grappling with. What's that going to look like when this all is not magically disappears, but when, people come in the office one day a week or two days a week. Like you don't need as much space. So, um, I'm just yeah. And for me, that's like a really cool opportunity. Again, it's, it's sticky. You, there's a lot to work through. It's, it could be expensive depending on how we do it. Yeah. Um, but it's a really cool opportunity to really make the workplace again, reflect how we, uh, work with each other, mm. um, post COVID. Um, so we moved in, in 2018 doing my math. Um, 
with kind of a uh, hybrid open office, but some uh, conference rooms and one or two privates, um, but mostly open office. And now we get to kind of recheck that plan saying, well, yeah, but people really want to get together. These small conference rooms maybe aren't ideal. How do we re-engineer the space to have people have these great opportunities to get together safely? Mm-hmm. While many of the same people who used to work in the office are working remotely, mm. you know, 60 or even 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, so really cool opportunity to rethink and make sure the workplace really suits the way we do our work and more importantly, the way we connect with each other. That's what's great about you, Rob, because you're so positive. Because <laughs> you're I mean, like, this is an opportunity. Versus some people are like, oh man, we gotta. This is gonna be. Well, hard. that's true. Even like the biggest problem, you know, uh, doing the the first move I did with CD Baby in 2011 was a bear. We had yeah. n- no joke over 70 temps just helping with the move wow. uh, for over a month because uh, we just have so much physical product and right. and things that we had to do. Um, and even that, and the you know six weeks of seventy plus hours a week uh, was really cool because just the energy level is high. It's a huge problem. There are plenty of things that went wrong, but again, um, there's a way to engage that in a positive way. Like, hey, cool, we've we're twenty percent of the way through, and when we're when we're done, this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be right. awesome. Um, and that's often how you have to lead. I had a team then that had never worked in. Uh, a more professionally organized warehouse, which is what I deliberately was moving us into. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to sell them on something they, they hadn't done yet. Um, and again, all good challenges, but uh, one of those things you have to do on, on the leadership side is this is where we're headed. Here are the steps to it. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to learn as we go, and it's okay. It, we'll, we'll, we'll land okay. Well, let's dive into that leadership side. So what have you, what's been your, like, biggest learning during this as just a leader when all these moving parts um, and everything being thrown at you. Um, yeah. What can you share that just you personally as a leader, you've, you've really come out on the other side and learned a lot. Um, it's been a good reminder. I think I've learned this lesson several times, but it bears repeating um, that all these plans we put down on paper or on a spreadsheet and kind of put together um, all really at, in the, at the end of the day involve people. And um, you've got to take care of the people first. Um, so one of the early learnings that my team and I had was we created a meeting about midweek um, where I had no agenda. We just came in and talked about, you know, how's it going for our teams working remotely? How's it going for you? How are you feeling? It was really just a, a sharing session. And some of that became concrete over time of like, oh, yeah, we should do this with our teams. Let's change something. But a lot of it was just allowing us a safe space to vent. Mm-hmm. Um, and to talk about the the experience of going through this much change as a team and as individuals, again, in that safe place. So I think um, long, long time ago, uh, back in those uh, uh, late 80s, I had an opportunity to go through and design this, um, this emergency stocking plan for a retailer. And I put it together and it just, on paper, it's it just saying, it was like, everything's going to fall into place. And I brought it to my district manager and he looked and, and confirmed, he said, this is perfect. And that's why it's not going to work. You haven't thought about the people in the plan. People make mistakes. People uh, have better ideas. And it was this great learning experience in my uh, late teens to have that. And again, now in uh, COVID times to be reminded um, that it's really people first. You can put down a plan on paper. Um, you want to involve people in helping put together that plan and kind of uh, really kind of 
um, figure it out together. Mm -hmm. And then the end of the end of the day, um, you need to remember that all the folks that you're working with are implementing the plan. They have feelings, they have competing interests, they have in, in COVID uh, times, potentially a spouse that's not working, kids at home. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of, of empathy to bring to uh, the decision making you do as a team. That, I mean, that's something uh, that's been coming up a lot. And it, when this leadership Academy, we, we had one of the sessions was like leading with grace, leading with empathy. And, um, I, I hope it's a huge kind of lesson. A lot of leaders are, um, learning and the, just the, the uh, culture of leadership is, is changing towards that because there has been so many things thrown at everybody. Like you said, spouse might be out of work. You know, I, you know, I have small kids at home. It's anarchy at my house. <laughs> so it's just yeah, for a sure. Lot, you know, so, um, what about just being a self-aware, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago and knowing your strengths. Uh, this is something I know you kind of, been really working on or have just through your leadership journey, it's been a big part of that. So I'd love for you to talk about that. Sure. I, I look back and kind of at my path to and then through management. And um, I, I spend some time really trying to understand wh what happened, what changed uh, to help me become a better leader. And more importantly, these days to train up uh, people from staff to management and into leaders. So as I look back, kind of my process of self-awareness was really checking in with myself as I went through this to understand um, what I was doing and what I was learning. Um, kind of a concrete example. I was offered um, the chance to get promoted, again, way back in, in my, uh, my early music retail experience. Um, but the manager, um, the district manager I would have worked with was what I would consider a shout-down manager. Everything was horrible. This is what you have to fix. Uh, kind of used fear to try to get people to do their work. Um, and I turned the promotion down. And I was 19, 20 maybe. Um, but that was a really good level setting experience for me. It's like, okay, what's important to me is not just climbing up the ladder, but making sure that I enjoy my work, that I enjoy the people I work with. I'm going to spend a lot of time there. That's really important to me. So that became kind of a, a self-awareness thing. And then as I grew as a manager from, I think where many managers start, a micromanager, uh, explaining not just the what we're going to shoot for, but also telling you know uh, my manager how they were going to do it, which is an awful waste of a good manager. Yeah. But that's where I started. And as I saw that blow up and not work always, I had to adapt and say, you know what? Let's agree on the what. You're responsible for the how. That's actually your job. That's why I hired you. Um, so there's kind of this process as you go through that. And in the end, I really find that um, doing uh, training and developing people uh, within operations in particular um, and taking on these operational projects is really my strength and what I love. And I love doing it, particularly in the music business, but really I want to stay in this operational sphere. Yeah. So when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, over our careers, we get offered promotions or uh, companies come and, and seek us out. Um, and I've been, you know, asked in the past about like a CEO position, I think is the one you and I talked about. Mm -hmm. And I've just come out and said, that's not a good fit for, for who I am and what I do. I'm an operations person. I want to spend time in the warehouse. I want to spend time with my team. I want to um, help define uh, new processes and troubleshoot existing ones. And more importantly, I want to grow and develop the operations yeah. team. 
And as a CEO, I think that's a really valuable position, but short of a company that's really struggling where a COOO, CO, that's to me, a COOO <laughs> um, might be a good CEO as a transition thing to help kind of fix things. Yeah. I think the, um, the skill set that makes a good CEO is not the same skill set that makes a good COO. Yeah. Um, so because I really feel an affinity to the CEO role, uh, that's what I, what I seek out. Um, so I think it's important as a, a leader to kind of find your strengths Obviously, along the way, find good mentors who can help you grow in areas where you're weaker or even just grow in the areas where you're stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of settle in and, and find what drives you and go in that direction. Yeah. You don't have to take every uh, opportunity for promotion or every opportunity to join a new company, a new role, and challenge yourself on something that's to the side of what, you, what you're really good at. You can keep developing in the roles that you're really good at and then help other people coming up um, develop in those same roles. Such great insight. Thanks for, for sharing, Rob. And I just love talking to people like you that have been at a company for a while because it's becoming rarer. You know, nothing wrong with, you know, you got yeah. a company a couple of years and go somewhere else and grow in that way. But there is something really valuable to evolving with the company as it changes and grows. So it's great to see. A couple of things, more things I want to talk about. Um, I always like to talk about just Portland in regards to business. You've been here a while, been in the market, you've seen uh, a lot of companies come um, and new uh, startups and just how has it been for CD Baby as, as a company that's been in the market for a while um, and, and just you personally being in Portland, you know, as an executive leader here and just seeing our, our kind of region grow in terms of business. Yeah, I mean, since 2009 to today, CD Baby's just grown so much. Um, we're still certainly a Portland-based company. A lot of our uh, talent, the people we um, hire, are based here in Portland. Um, but we've also spread our wings into Los Angeles, Amsterdam, Canada, Brazil, all these other places. Um, so it's, it's interesting to run a company with that breadth of geography and different types of businesses um, internationally from Portland. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, Portland continues to be our, our base um, and I don't see a, a time when this wouldn't uh, be our headquarters, mm -hmm. uh, but it's really cool to get on the road um, and see New York, LA, all these different um, places that have a different composition for musicians, for um business and kind of how the businesses work in those places um, and connect with those and kind of connect them back to Portland. Yeah. Um, it's a long way of saying it's a long ride from New York uh, where <laughs> our parent uh, company lives mm -hmm. to Portland. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm not sure I'm answering your question directly if you want to redirect me a little bit, but I think we've got uh, you know, a great history here. We've doubled in size since I joined, more than doubled. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's really cool to continue to be based here in Portland and then also have access to all these different cities and uh, locales internationally to keep meeting artists and exploring business in all those places from here in Portland. Yeah, no, you did answer because it's, you know, you made a commitment to Portland. Um, and I, I know you have a parent company and a lot of different divisions. And um, I love to see that that commitment still stand and it's just a great place to operate, especially with the creative talent here. So, um, yeah, yeah, and some of it's been driven by just making the right um, pivots and business turns. I go back to 2009 and being this, you know, primarily physical distribution company. We could have stayed on that path. Um, we'd be much smaller than we are today. Um, 
probably still based here in Portland, but I'm really happy that we continue to innovate and, and change the business and add new features that musicians need and find useful uh, to expand uh, in Portland and beyond Portland, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a really cool thing. Does CD Baby do anything with podcasting? In the re and I am, you know, obviously I'm a podcast nerd, but the, the rise of this platform, which has been around a long time, it's not anything new, but it's just, you know, like the Spotify deals with like Joe Rogan and all these, these things happening. I'm just, how does that play into artists and compensation and, and services you might offer? Yeah, it's interesting. It's always changing. So my answer two weeks ago would be different than the answer I give you today, <laughs> okay. like literally. Um, so with podcasting, you know, we've, we've touched on it as far as like, is there anything we can provide a podcaster as CD baby that will be a value add? But as you pointed out, podcasting is, is relatively easy to get out, you know, do a recording and get it out onto platforms directly without an intermediary. So uh, at least up until two weeks ago, I didn't see a clear role for us on the business side. We do have a very successful musician podcast ourselves, the DIY Musician Podcast, yeah. which is fantastic. It's a really cool resource. Yeah. But again, we can self-distribute that. Uh, we don't need an intermediary um, to help us do that. Um, but now uh, Spotify recently added um, the ability to um, stream music within your podcast and make sure that the music that's being played basically gets paid. Right. Uh, it gets paid its royalties and, and the money it should get. Um, so there's a whole formula to how to do it and how much of your show needs to be kind of podcast and how much of it can be music. But that's a new area where now we can help our musicians potentially get placed in podcasts mm. and certainly get paid for their music being used in podcasts um, as they get paid for the music being used on YouTube. That's always been like a huge problem with podcasting, like the music. Huge, part, yeah. Yeah, know. the licensing part was really hard. You had a lot of podcasts that you know, wanted to do music stuff, but didn't necessarily have the rights to actually use the music in the podcast. Right. And there wasn't even a way to like get the rights or, you know, to, to, right. you know, just so. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a model for it. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. I'm, um, hopefully it's not too expensive for me, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, check out. I know there was a, a, a public facing statement about it. I want to say maybe a week ago, okay. uh, press release about it. Um, and it looks, uh, looks super interesting. I'm, I'm curious how it works and I'm, I'm always happy to see, um, you know, musicians and, and music rights holders being thought of in the model. Yeah. Um, and really it seems to be designed around making sure musicians and, uh, writers get paid. Well, Rob, thanks so much for, for joining, being on the show. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. The PDX executive podcast is a production of that cast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.